Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, good morning, God. Thank you so much for our waking up and our early start this morning, Father. Thank you for the faithful and the committed, Father, that press their way out no matter what else is going on, Father. But we press our way to get knowledge of you, Father, so we can live and be in your word, Lord. Thank you, God, for your loving arms, Father. Thank you for be, being loving, and thank you for giving us the tools that we need every day, Father, to be able to uh, experience that love, Lord. I ask, Father, that those that are on the way, that you will remove all obstacles, Father. Give them no excuse, Father. No excuse for not coming, Father. Give them no excuse for not being able to make it once they set out on their way. I ask you, Father, that you send your angels to guard our homes, our possessions, God, because I know you are here with us, so we have nothing to fear. Thank you, Lord, for just being our everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last month, uh, this is August, so last month, the last week of last month, I um, spoke about the consequence of not choosing. And in the consequence of not choosing, we talked about heaven. What's heaven like? Do we believe in heaven? Do we feel like we're going to heaven? Because in the at the end of everything, there is a choice. God has given us a choice in every aspect of our lives. So today, we are going to get an understanding of hell. What we think about the afterlife is upside down. In order to avoid the discussion of death, we have softened its impact by saying things like, they were laid to rest or they expired. Not thinking about it or talking about it doesn't make it disappear. We will all face it, and mostly everybody here has faced it in their life, in, in the life of someone in the sphere of your influence, family members, friends, children, people that you know. So let's first turn to Luke 16, 19. And just say amen when you're there. So Luke 16, 19. Just say amen when you have reached that scripture. Luke 16, 19. So I will start. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. So, so the rich man. He was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So in this day and time, we could liken him to someone like Donald Trump, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos. He was extremely rich, and he was considered royalty back in the day. So then there's also this beggar who's laying at the gate. He's covered in sores. So you have the total opposite type of people here. You have someone who wants for nothing, very rich, and is esteemed in society, and then you have someone who literally is just laying by a gate, infested with sores and begging. So I would say in this day and time, he definitely would apply for food stamps or financial assistance, right? So he, he's someone that is not wealthy, okay? So 
This man, uh, so, so yeah, he's definitely eligible for government benefits. So verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So verse 22 shows us the inevitability of death. The poor man died and the rich man died also. Death knows how to locate you regardless of your station in life. So death is a certainty, right? So God has not been silent about death, about what it is and what happens when you partake in it. What happens when you physically die, which means your soul separates from your body, is you either go to heaven to be with God or you are sent to hell. I want you to understand that death does not mean the end of life. It does not mean the end of life. It means a separation has occurred. That's all it means. So when we physically die, our body goes to rest. That's not it. That's not the end. That's really just the beginning. So when I said before, we have it upside down, we have it upside down. We have it upside down. So according to the Pew Research Center, we're going to take a look at how many people actually believe that there's a hell. So according to Pew Research Center, the, the amount of people in their poll that believe is 58%. That's not a high percentage. That's not a high percentage. That's almost half. And then the people that don't believe, 34%, and then unknown or other was 8%. So let's look at some truths about this place we call hell. First of all, what is hell? So the modern English word hell is derived from Old English hell or helle, first attested around 725 AD to refer to a netherworld of the dead, reaching into the Anglo-Saxon pagan period. Or hell is a place where evil people are believed in some religions to suffer after death. A place, or it could be a place or state of misery or wickedness. In historic Protestant traditions, hell is the place created by God for the punishment, and listen to this, of the devil and fallen angels. And that's in Matthew 25, 41. And those whose names are not written in the book of life. So last month, I asked you, do you believe your name is written in the book of life? That's something to think about. What is the physical hell? Like, what is hell physically? So hell is a wasteland, a marsh, a swamp, outside of God's goodness, where there is no exit, there is never any change. It is the physical holding place for those that make a deliberate choice to separate themselves from God. It is the place that has been constructed for Satan and his angels, the worst of criminals, and for everybody who aligns themselves with him, they go to a spiritual prison. That's hell. Where is hell? So let's go to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. So I want you to understand that earth as we know it was not earth as we know it in the beginning of the creation of earth. Earth was the holding cell for the devil and his angels. So if you look at Genesis 1, 
verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So if you think about it, if water and earth are not separated, what is it? Like, what, what would you call that? It's like a marshland. It's a muddy swamp. Can you all imagine not having any land to get out of that swamp and perch on? The whole earth is a marshland. It's without, it's without light. It's, it's without any separation of land and water. That's, that's where he dwelled. So that's why when Eve was meted by Satan in the garden, it's because he was already here. This was his dwelling place before God created something for us where we could dwell because we are his creations. He knew what we needed. So where is hell? So then we just read that. So what is hell like? Let's talk about what hell is like. Let's turn to Matthew 18 and 8. And just say amen when you get there. Matthew 18 and 8. And I read out of the New um, Living Translation or New International Version. Okay. So if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes to be thrown into the fire of hell. Sounds pretty uh, scary, doesn't it? Basically, he's saying it's better that you were born with none of these things, no limbs, no eyes, for you to be able to sin with than to sin and stray from God and still go to, go to hell basically, and be thrown into the fire. So I want you to understand that if you choose hell, because, you know, I, whenever I'm talking, I'm talking about a choice. If you choose hell, you will be able to see into heaven. Let's go to Luke 16, 23. So we're talking about what, what, what it's like to be in hell. Luke 16, 23. Just say amen when you get there. So in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. So we know that Hades is another word for hell. So he's down in hell, and he literally looks up, and he can see in heaven. And what did I tell you all last month that heaven is, that, that the roads of heaven are paved with? Clear gold clear so why do you think he can see up there the roads are clear you can see through them so can you imagine being in a horrible place and looking across and being able to see people partying having a good time and having no care in the world then can you imagine burning alive looking up and seeing people just casually strolling across roads made with pure gold that see through clear something that we can't even fathom right now because gold is not clear here where we are and jewels 
and there's no sin, no care in the world. Can you imagine? Like to me, that, that is hell to me. To me, that is the picture of hell. I would not want to be in a horrible place, be able to see goodness and not ever be able to get to it. Because hell is a life sentence. There is no, God, I'm so sorry now that I'm down here burning because I rejected you my whole life. Can I come back? There is none of that. There is none of that. So literally, we, the, no, not, not we, the people that, are, that choose not to love God and follow God will be burning in hell or in the lake of fire where hell is thrown into. And then they'll be able to see us all the time. It's crazy. So then in uh, verse 24, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because he's what? He's in agony. He's in agony, guys. Agony. Imagine some crime show you watch and you see people being tortured, tortured to where it's like in, in unimaginable pain. That's what I think about when I think agony, but worse. Because I would think if God's mad and he's throwing me somewhere because he's mad, it's, it's going to be horrific. It's not going to be pleasant in any way. So what does Jesus, what does Jesus say about hell? In Matthews 13, 41, so let's go to Matthews 13, 41. Just say amen when you reach there. Matthews 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is forever, guys. Hell is not some fantasy. It's not, if you believe in heaven, why do you not believe in hell? If you believe in the good things about the Bible, why not believe in the bad things? They're all in the Bible. This is the living word. This is Christ made flesh. This is it. This is the truth. So who would who would literally, with the knowing of this word, choose to go down to this furnace? Who would choose that? All who enter hell abandon hope. The horror of hell for every for every for even one second is unbearable. But once again, it's forever. Yes, sir. Is it bad or? Fair. fair. Well, I said bad because people think of stuff like that as bad. But fair, yes, just, yes. Because once again, we had a choice. We chose not to go the right road. We're choosing to go the wrong road. So yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's what we chose, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. 
So let's turn to Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. 25, 41. Just say amen when you reach it. Okay. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. So when, when I hear God talking like that, that also reminds me that that's how he wants us to treat others. He wants us, if they're sick, take them in. If they need clothes, give them clothes. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. But he's speaking for himself because you have to think about it. What have you given to God? What have you given to God? God has feelings. He has, he, he has feelings. And he has asked some things of us. But what have you given him to quench his thirst? What have you given him when he feels like he's isolated and lonely? We are his people. We are the ones that can fix that. We are the ones that can make him not feel those ways. So let's turn to Matthew 18 and 8. 18 and 8. 18 and 8. Matthew. Let's say amen when you get there. I'm way too far. Matthew 18 and 8. All right. So once again, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet to be thrown into the fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So how, how do you all feel about that verse? What do you all think he's saying there? I mean, I know I already elaborated on it, but does anybody else have any thoughts on it? That's pretty deep. God's asking you to gouge your eyes out and cut off your limbs. Anybody else have any thoughts on that scripture? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we talked about that a little bit on Tuesday night too, where you were speaking on um, basically you have to watch out for the tricks of the devil. He is reigning in his world, which is, and he has a lot of followers and you have to remember that they are on assignment. So a lot of what we encounter media wise, music, um, at our jobs with other people that call themselves Christian is not the truth. It's not the truth. It's a lot that's out there that is meant to let to lead you astray. You have to remember that the devil doesn't have any power. He can't crawl into your mind and take control of you unless you let him. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Amen. That's wonderful. She said, it doesn't stop when you say, God, come into my life. It's every day, every moment. And we hear that in this church all the time. It's moment to moment. It could be millisecond to millisecond. You know, you know you better than the devil knows you, but he's watching you. And he's waiting for any opportunity. When I say any, any opportunity. And when you let them in, that's the tragedy. Because really and truly, you have power over the devil. You know, he's really under our feet. You know, because we have Christ, we have power over any of his temptations. But you have to equip yourself with this knowledge here to know what your power is and how you can use it. But I like that. You said you have to rebuke the devil when he comes. You have to recognize him. You have to recognize them. And that's what we were saying. It's like there's all kind of tricks and traps set up in this world for us. But if you can't recognize it, you can't recognize the devil, then you don't have a chance, really. You know, you're going to let them in. And you may not even mean to let them in, but you're going to let them in. So let's summarize. We discussed heaven the last week of July and the first week of this month. We discussed heaven. We talked about it, how it looks, how it feels, uh, what it's like, uh, what the benefits are. Now we have a good understanding of the different aspects of the place we call hell. The definition of a choice is an act of selecting or making a decision when faced with two or more possibilities. So if you recall, my title was the consequence of not choosing. So the definition of making a choice, I wanna make sure we're clear, is an act. It's not always a thought, it's an act of selecting or making a decision when faced with two or more possibilities, such as the choice between good and evil. That's a choice we have every day. Do you believe today, right now, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart? He will not do it without your permission. He will not share room with an evil heart. He will not share, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you ask him to come in and make room for him, he will turn your whole life completely around. We have so many examples of that just in this church. 
Um, I remember my husband saying um, a little while ago, he was like, you know, I just think God's amazing because he said, I have to think back to the things that I used to do that were evil. You know, he has to think back. That's deep. That's deep. Like, like you're living in God's goodness and it's so good, you have to remind yourself of how bad you were. That's awesome. God is awesome. But you have to invite him in and you have to allow his goodness to take over. How do I do this? Just ask. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Repent. And then ask him to come into your heart. And, and he will. He will. He wants us. He wants all of us. I don't care who we are, what we've done. He wants every one of us. So let's revisit. We talked about Pascal's wager, and then I'm almost done. We're going to revisit Pascal's wager. So here's the wager. I went over the history and all that last month. If God exists, you are better off as a believer than a non-believer. If God does not exist, you are still better off as a believer than a non-believer. So if you choose to believe, let's say God is not real. Let's just say that. What, how does that benefit you or not benefit you when you die? It's not going to harm you if he's not real. You, you lived a good life. You were good to people. You were morally right. And, and you loved someone that was above you that you thought was there. So when you die, you die. If, if there's no God, there's no nothing after death. So what are you losing from choosing him anyway? So based on this logic, Pascal suggested the, ration, the rational person would choose to believe in God, as believing offers a person everything. And everything we talked about last, last month is eternal life. That's everything, while losing nothing. Wherever you are in your faith journey, would you consider taking Pascal's wager? If the good God of the Bible exists, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain by believing in him today, right now. So back to the title for today, the consequence of not choosing. Not choosing what, you say. What, what do you think the consequence will be of not choosing to believe that the same loving God that created you and chose to send his son as a ransom to cover his sins? He was born into this world as a man, died and ascended into heaven to sit on the right hand of the Father. To not choose is choosing. Remember, we talked about that last month. To not choose is still making a choice. It is choosing to accept the consequence of not appreciating a loving God and going to hell. I pray we all make it to that day. I hope we all make it together that day to heaven. That's my prayer. I pray we all make it, and I pray that this lesson has helped you make a decision about what you want your eternity to look like. Our next... Our next day, next hour, next minute, next second is not promised. I pray you join me in the decision to join with Christ. This could be the last time one or all of us sees each other. Make the right choice.